Hello and welcome to the Super Rugby Round 11 review brought to you by Driving More. Hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving More, your best pleasure in predictions and opinion. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us this evening. Now, this evening it's going to be a little bit different because Shane has been taken over by the dark side. I mean, we've had many defections to Rugby League, but this is perhaps one that hurts the game the most. Um, and unfortunately, yes, he's had too much rugby union over the uh, sorry, too much rugby league over the weekend and hasn't actually seen the game. So I'm going to have to step into his shoes as the co-host with um, or as the guest for the uh, our wonderful summariser, um, Stephen. How are you doing, sir? Or Steve? Sorry, I, I got it. I can't cope with this idea. I've got a Steve and a Stephen on the show. Well, I mean, on the channel, pick. I'm not too worried. You know, really, <laughs> the you name is Steve or Stephen. Does it, does, does it really matter? No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> not at all. So take your pick. Um, it doesn't really matter. But yes, it's a shame we don't have Shane because um, I was looking forward to giving him a bit of stick about his reds um, this um, this week. But alas, I've saved that one up for next week. But we did have, of course, the seven games to go through. So uh, we better not mess about any longer. Get stuck straight into it because our first match, of course, was one of the crackers of the weekend. The Crusaders versus the Sharks. And... It's amazing again, you look back at this one, and it's probably a surprise that you wrote so little about the first half, or I did at least. So it was a, a typical tight little tussle that we expect from the Crusaders in the first half, of both sides having a lot of chances. But what surprised me the most about this first 40 minutes was that neither side really chanced around too much with any width on the ball. And the match kind of did a bit of an arm wrestle, beat up each other through the guts, and uh, neither side really took too much on their side. The half's only try was scored by Cody Taylor, who crashed into the post, not actually over the line, and um, scored something for the Crusaders after a long period of pressure. The Sharks, they took every point they could, and it was all off the tee in the first half. Shots at goal were the order of the day, and nine points to seven it was to the Sharks at the halftime break. The penalties continued to hurt the Crusaders throughout the game. They elevated even more into the second spell as Bosch took toll even further. Penalties taking it up to 15 points to 7 lead for the Sharks and they were looking for good value for it as well. The Crusaders finally changed the tempo and they hit back with uh, a little bit of luck through the penalty from Hunt into the corner that well, was about as lucky as he could get after he's made some shockers and then it was Kieran Reid that slipped a super little pass away to Goodhue to go in under the sticks and it was 15-14 game on Finally, the Sharks continued to benefit from the penalties by the Crusaders, took the score out to 21-14. And yes, if anyone who's a rugby fan by now should know the divisions of the number seven, that means it was odds on for that score to be tied up. The Sharks' defence was tested massively for the final stanza of the match as the Crusaders battled to get themselves into that draw. And eventually, they broke the wall of the defence and the forwards couldn't do it. They went to the backs and surprisingly, something they'd struggled to really do all day, it was Hunt that slipped through to bring them to 21-19. Kick to come. He took almost back to halfway and then surprised the world by nailing the shot at goal. 21-21, the final full-time score between the Crusaders and the Sharks. Who's the better side there, Paul? The Sharks, many people were saying at the kick at the final conclusion of that one. Well, this one's that the Sharks have probably spent the last fortnight just practicing defense because their attack was pretty woeful. But defensively, absolutely fantastic. Um, we saw something a bit interesting from them, which was they had a blitz. Whenever the, the um, Crusaders played a two-line uh, attack, they had a blitzer who would run straight into that second line and disrupt things 
whilst the other guys all maintain their composure. Normally, when someone, a single person blitzes out the line, it leaves a gap. But clearly, this was a tactic for the team uh, and really well played. And, to- and the Crusaders just couldn't cope with it. Reverted to a one-line attack to stop because, to, because of that. And then everything became much easier for the Sharks as there weren't so many options to defend and players weren't getting pulled out of position. So um, really, really good uh, uh, tactics by the Sharks defensively. Um, On attack, well, geez, you know know what's coming for you from the Sharks? Uh, And it's just a matter of can you you deal with it? Because it's just going to be a a big blunt instrument of those forwards. And um, those poor outside backs, you're kind of like, why are they... Why do they even get paid? I mean, why are they even there? So, so it, it really is 10-man rugby. Uh, but defence uh, does, not in this case, win matches, but it was definitely um, put to the test, wasn't it? And they did show up. And I think that's a, that's a great uh, result to get on tour, isn't it? To go to Christchurch, to face the Crusaders, and to come away not losing. Um, they've definitely got to be happy with how that one's come out on their side. And what, what a start. It's like many, everyone just about... Uh, ruining that draw to start off the weekend. Bets are out the window. Super Brew's out the window. Any predictions out the window. First game of the weekend. It's all over. It's all over from and there. Was it, and was it's, it it's, the end of twenty nine? Oh, sorry, and the end of twenty five continuous wins by the Crusaders at home. And an average of two draws per season in a Super Rugby year. We had two in one round. So I mean, yeah, the, the craziness of draws this season has been blowing completely um, from other years out of the water. So uh, it was the start of the weekend, and it heated up from there as well as we went over to see the Reds up against the Sunwolves following that one. And we saw much of the same penalties to be the order of the day as Parker and Higgity continued the consumption of threes. It took a while for the first try of the night to come, but it was Big number eight, Higginbotham, who intercepted off a line-out, offloaded from the ground, and Higgity scorched away to give the Reds the early advantage. Parker once more increased his stocks as a playmaker, though, hitting back straight after that, perfectly waiting a little grubber for one of the best finishers, I think, in Super Rugby this season, Vanden Heever, to roll over in a flash to bring the Sunwolves back into the game. From that point on, though, the game started to fall apart, and we've seen our first yellow card, Mikami for the Sunwolves given... Uh, the first yellow for a ruck infringement close to their own line. Um, the Sunwolves actually defended really well from that, though, and didn't concede while they were the man down. It was only 12 minutes after the first yellow, so yes, he was back for two minutes, and then they got number two, a cynical ruck penalty from Masarewa, and that was the second card of the night, and um, then he's gone as well. So we went to half time. The Sunwolves, surprisingly, if you probably just read what I wrote there, led 13 points to eight. It didn't seem like it somehow they managed to keep themselves just in front. Into the second half, the pressure finally told, though, with the Sunwolves still a man down and the forwards getting into their work. Tupo crashed over to put the Reds finally in front. But the Sunwolves, not a team to give up this season, as we've learned, and kicked their way back into the lead. But then, if it wasn't going downhill already, it quickly did straight after that. A high tackle around the chops from Masuela, and he got his second yellow card of the night. And yes, that's a red card for everyone who's coming from football. And it was 14 minutes for the Sunwolves for the rest of the game, which was still half an hour to play. And from there, the Reds did take over a little bit of crossfield kick. was easiest finish of the season 
for Naivalu. And I mean, he's only scored a couple of tries, so it wasn't hard to be his easiest of the year. And the Reds got their lead back. Van der Heever was gifted an intercept from Hamish Stewart. And boy, it was a real gift as well. Uh, floating a massive pass wide after a kick return. It was just put straight into the breadbasket. And before you know it, the Sunwolves are back in front again. Cards are plenty, tries are plenty. It was all happening. But then, another yellow card, of course, it had to happen. Tamura sent to the bin with the fourth card of the game, the third yellow, and the Sunwolves were down to 13 men. The Reds took it back again and went back to the forwards, something they should probably do more of. And even the backs were jumping into a mall as they were getting close to the line. Eventually drove their way over, playing Omosa, the scorer of that try. And that put the Reds back in the lead again. Then things got really ugly. If they couldn't get any uglier than they already were, Hawking's kicking Warren Vosiaho on the head to get a red card. And then Warren Vosiaho was sent off as well for holding his foot. Yes, that's right. Holding his foot. Another pathetic in my opinion because you got a red you've got to get a yellow as well from my least favorite referee Angus Gardner 14 on 12 for the rest of the game the Sunnels although they got close could not create the magic to topple the Reds full time 32 26 goodness me Paul I don't know how we've ever seen a game with that many cards in it before we haven't but it's another one of those ones where I mean wasn't it only, it was only last week that someone threw um a, an elbow at someone's elbow. head and he got a red card and the other player got a yellow card for uh, holding him back. And you're like, yep. yep, someone holds someone back at every single ruck. That was one of the softest yellow cards mm-hmm. you're going to see. Uh, and purely because, as you say, I gave a red, therefore I'm going to give a yellow. So um, there are those ones that, uh, that, that that need to be there. Uh, as Andre says in the chat, it will be, be remembered for the cards more than the quality. Um, and absolutely it will be. Uh, I think something we're going to have to talk about tomorrow, or I'm going to have to whack down on the agenda for tomorrow night's hash rugby chat is, should two yellows equal a red? Because I thought in the past it was two yellows for the same thing was a red, not just two any old yellows. Uh, but uh, clearly the things have changed. Um, I'm not sure I like change. Change is a bad thing. It's evil. <laughs> Keep it all the same. How am I supposed to know what's going on if you change things? Uh, but, oh, what are your thoughts uh, on Mr. Gardner? Now, I- I'm... I'm pretty anti him. I know we're not we're not really talking about the refs here, but six cards, two reds, four yellows. I I mentioned it quite a lot over the weekend on Twitter that what concerns me is Rugby World Cup time. He is one of the top referees in the world, according to um, the people that decide that sort of thing. And the fact that he just seems to consistently be dishing out all these cards every single time he's a referee. Does he have control of these games? Is he, in your opinion, one of the best refs going around? Um, I, I, I think a lot of it comes down to the players. And one of the, one of the things, we've, we've, we've got into a situation where um, you can hold players and stuff, and in the old days you'd get smacked around the head. Um, there'd be a fight <laughs> and you wouldn't do it again. Uh, a bit like lying on the wrong side of the ruck. You'd get rucked and you wouldn't do it again. Um, with all that self-policing that's disappeared, uh, we get a lot of a lot of that. Um, a lot of niggle, a lot of stuff going on that really we don't. It doesn't add to the game, uh, but isn't big enough really to penalise. And that's kind of the problem is we have all this, all these uh, illegal things happening continuously that aren't big enough to penalise. Uh, and yeah, the players eventually have had enough, and that's what we saw. I think that's what we saw here. Um, we also saw. I, mean, I know that people weren't very happy with Pickering's um, uh, performance for the uh, Crusaders game either. Uh, that. Um, yeah, that he was a bit whistle-happy there. But, uh, hey, if we get rid of these guys, who's going to replace them? Because the next lot down are even worse. 
So come on, this 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 is the best there is actually. It's true. The best there is. We've got to make do. Uh, move on quickly to the next matchup. We've got a lot to go through uh, from this weekend's action. The Hurricanes versus the Rebels. Um, a crazy match of two very contrasting halves. It started off in a frenetic fashion for the home team. Now, Malpa only took four minutes to start the scoring with a fantastic run, 40 metres out, cutting inside, breaking tackles, beating players, destroying defenders. It's what Lau Malpe does, and it was 7-0. You're welcome, Wellington fans. That was a great start to the game. Not to be outdone, though. Three minutes later, set-piece line-out. Bonin Barrett scorches like he does again. Too much speed, too fast, and it was 14-0 before anyone knew the game had even started. While we're on the topic of speed, we'll talk about another one. Where's Hooson? Yep. Pretty simple stuff here. A ruck went out wide. Space to beat the man on the outside. And we know Wes Houston has the wheels to do it. Leaves it for dust. And again, another try for the Hurricanes. And this game really very quickly got out of control for the Rebels. Inside 20 minutes, though, and the, the lead was massive. And the Rebels' defense was very much a voluntary as another try was scored by the Hurricanes. Inside the first quarter of this game, Blackwell starting it off, finished by Vaifafita, and it just seemed really strange how the Rebels were so disinterested in defending at the stage. They went to the break. Amazingly, they did improve somewhat. The second 20 minutes of the game didn't see any points, but 26 to nil to the Hurricanes, the home team looking pretty well. But new half, oh, so, new hey, team. We, we, this was after the first quarter. We were thinking this is an 80 points, <laughs> 80 points plus game. Go the Canes. Then what happened? Yeah. That was a big prediction, but it changed. It all changed in the second half, and the Rebels uh, kicked things off in a pretty good fashion. Reese Hodge busting through, releasing quick ball away to Matt Phillip, and the big man trundles away to give some life to this Rebels team. Billy Meeks come off the bench and made an instant impact. Some good offloading in the tackle, and he was setting about to put the Rebels tally doubling up with their second try, 26-14, the score after that one. The Hurricanes weren't perfect, though, and the game kind of took its toll here as an error on their own line gave the Rebels another chance, and um, they quickly put it wide to an unmarked Hodge who put the lead down to seven points. Now, you can also argue at this point, Paul, that, I mean, at that point at 20 minutes, there was no chance that we thought the Rebels were going to be even back into this match at all. But the Hurricanes got some composure back in the game, scored their only points in the second half with six minutes to go. It was just a penalty, but that's all they needed. They put it outside that seven-point buffer, and that was the last of the scorers. 29-19, very contrasting halves. The Rebels definitely, like we've seen a lot, they normally falter in the second half, but this time they come back quite strongly. Uh, contrasting halves or contrasting quarters. Jeez, this was this was yeah. a nuts game. Um, we would normally say a team has to play the full 80 minutes. Well, the, the Hurricanes didn't. They went home after 20. They had enough. <laughs> they were, um, and, hey, they, it was enough to win the game for them, luckily enough. Lucky. Um, as you said, the, the Rebels just couldn't get back into it. They gave themselves way too much. A couple of uh, comments in the chat about um, Houston being perhaps the most underrated um, outside back or underrated back in New Zealand rugby, and yeah, he's starting to get some recognition, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, and I agree with the other comment there from um, Andre about Rob Thompson. Yeah, both great players. I've been a big fan. Uh, Rob Thompson's kind of taken over um, um, my 
would like to see an All Black be an All Black, but probably never will uh, kind of position um, that we've seen from James Lowe was the guy I was, a, I was a big advocate for in the past. And since he's left, I've kind of latched on to Rob Thompson. So hopefully we can get him over the line. But um, yeah, we're, yeah we're and, and Rob speed. Thompson, be careful because he lives much closer to where you do. Whereas uh, James <laughs> Lowe was safe. He was on a different island. But hey, never mind. Um, and Quade Cooper, people have really figured out how to get him and disrupt him. I think, mm. uh, as Unbiased Rugby says, Quade Cooper has been a bit off for a few games now. And yeah, he has. And uh, uh, yeah, I say teams teams have realised they can get after him. And we've known it all along. That's why New Zealand crowds boo him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the key, isn't it? Guinea and Cooper are the big key to that uh, rebel side. And you get under their skin or disrupt them or you know, not let them play their game. And um, things can quickly fall apart. But yeah, you've you still got to give a bit to them there to get back in that game. Um, almost picking up a bonus point, which would have gone quite nicely for them, but uh, not to be for the Rebels. Not and, to be. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the hair and the tortoise, was it? We thought it, it no. could have been. <laughs> it could have been. I don't think that was that was going to happen. Too much experience. I think the, the Hurricanes definitely uh, took a bit more control at that end when they thought, oh dear, this is this is starting to get a little bit too close for our liking rather than just trundling away to the finish. But um, they got the win. And that's all that matters for the Kings. Onwards they go. But, uh, well, we'll take this chance now. The halftime team talk, shall we? We're uh, almost halfway through. Three games out of seven. Take this chance to go for it, Paul. Knock us out with some interesting facts. I forgot it was a halftime team talk. Yes, it is a halftime team talk. So you can become a supporter of the Driving Mall. Link down below to patreon.com forward slash driving mall where you can support us to produce all this free content for you for only a dollar a month. Hey, you can go all the way up to the uh, $20 a month to, and get into the bucket hat level. Um, but uh, yeah, stay. you can uh, just do it from a dollar a month, get access to exclusive content from me uh, and uh, say support us to do this kind of stuff. Because let's be honest, Steve could do the haircut, couldn't he? <laughs> I actually booked it to get one this week, thank. thanks for noticing. Thanks for <laughs> not that I've got too much hair left uh, that, that really needs cut anyway. But moving swiftly along. Next game of the weekend was the Mighty Highlanders up against the Chiefs. Um, a big, big, big New Zealand derby um, for this weekend's uh, fixtures. And it was the Chiefs. Um, they had a chance, pulled back early for a knock-on, but the Highlanders turned that lucky escape into their own first try, uh, Yuani, uh, with some good play, I guess you'd call from him. Something that you only see hugely from him is his running game, but... He definitely was left alone too much by the Chiefs defenders and he went on for the early lead for the Highlanders. And it was the Chiefs that struck back some sneaky lines from the Chiefs forward, blasted through Tyler Ardron in the hole in his own 22. He linked up with, <laughs> I mean, I'm expecting the big ones from the chat here, the explosive and lightning quick Brad Weber, who's really putting his hand up as well this season, who scooted away to tie things up at 7-7. Ben Smith got tired of the forwards trudging close to the line. He took upon himself to do some fancy footwork uh, two metres out and uh, dived through a big hole where there's only big fellas defending to give the Highlanders the lead back. Then some backline magic for a set up from Alo Malo, who falls just short and was, I think, easily the best player of the matchup. Uh, Jacobson recycling it quickly, sweeping three defenders aside to dot down in the corner. And with that, went to half time. The Highlanders a slender lead, 14. 12 over the Chiefs. Into the second half, the Highlanders started off with a bang, a five-minute scrum, and Aaron Smith with that determined, um, scraggy little run, offload of champions that puts Fatterson unharmed and untouched. A big try, huge try, that gave them that difference of the lead. 
The Highlanders put more pain on the Chiefs. Lynch's diving over in the corner, but the build-up again from Aaron Smith was key as he was dominating things for the Highlanders as they extend the lead out to 28 points to 12. And for most Highlanders fans, uh, we were all thinking that this was pretty much done and dusted. Let's go home. But the Chiefs, um, they had other thoughts about it, and they were next to strike, and they needed to as well. Offloads that Sonny Bill Williams would have been proud of from the forwards. Angus Talval with the try, and the Chiefs were back within two of the lead. The backs, though, were obviously impressed what the forwards had done, and they tried a little bit of it themselves. Offloading like champions, they played their own little game um, before they ran out of defenders to beat. And in the end, it was a great finish to Tyler John once again, well supported by the outstanding Jacobson. 28-24, game on with 10 minutes to go, with just three minutes left in the game. The Highlanders decided to take a shot at goal to put their lead out to seven. And yes, man. Oh no, what's happened? Jacobson launching the Chiefs into another chance and they do not disappoint yet again. Angus Tarvel thunders over once more in 31-31. That is the conclusion of the match. To be fair, the Hollanders did pull very, very close right at the end, but an error. Uh, right of those dying touches put the ball over the sideline and that was the final play of the game. 31 all. Another draw! Another draw. What is going on with these draws? Um, I don't know, but this was the game that we were down at the uh, Zone Sports Bar. My kind of book of notes from this game. Um, so I'll try not to go through all of them because uh, we could be here all night. But um, yeah, Jacobson, uh, he's got to be an outside bet. He's got to be the uh, the bolter for the All Blacks, surely. Um, the the whole uh, yes, the, the the hype train is out, is is in full full mode for this Rugby World Cup so far, and we'll be talking about that on Wednesday night in the All, in the all Blacks edition. Um, it's just the amount of bolters that apparently are suddenly coming up from just one game. Um, Jacobson had a really good good game. Let's be honest. Yeah, he was man of the match, um, and uh, yeah, the only and probably the reason that the Chiefs actually were still in this. Uh, I mean, the the Chiefs lead the tournament for offloads, and they were trying it all game, uh, and most of the time knocking it on, and then suddenly it clicked. And hey, presto, they scored. Stephen, who was with me, Stephen Harris, not Steve, who's here with me today. Um, said that, hey, suddenly he was, he was he liked the decision-making all of a sudden. I was like, no, the decision-making was awful all game. It's just those, the, those offloads started to stick whereas uh, for, 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 for very short periods, whereas for a lot of the other time, they just didn't go, they just didn't stick at all and were a total mess. So, yeah, high-risk stuff from the, from the Chiefs uh, and, yeah, lucky to get out of jail, I think. Yeah, they were. Was, I mean, the Highlanders, I thought, I thought it was dumb and dusted. At, at that point when they were 28-12, I was like, yep, Thanks for coming, Chiefs. See you later. On to the next one. Uh, they fought back very well. And, I mean, I guess the Chiefs had to take a bit of credit for that. Um, yeah, a few key players, like you said, though, definitely stood out and were the, the main culprits for that team actually dragging themselves up to, to a result like that. The back row, um, very, very good. Tyler Ardron, the Canadian, very good as well. So plenty of guys you can pick on in that that were um, right up there for performances for the Chiefs. So... Unfortunately, another draw. So there we go. Anyone who survived that first draw, um, tear it up because it's definitely all over now. You're not going to pick two in a row. That's just madness. We'll move on to the uh, Brumbies versus the Blues. Uh, this is an interesting one. Now, um, a lot of people picking the Blues. You picked the Blues for this one, Paul. Uh, yes, I did. And yes, I'll, oh, I'll be man, honest man. here. I'm very upset with Shane because he made me watch this game. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> or at least the highlights. 
Um, I, I didn't. Uh, I, di- I didn't catch this one live, and I was going to ignore it entirely. Uh, and then he said, "Oh, sorry, Paul, I can't make the show tonight." It's like, "Oh, what? I've got to watch this one." Oh no! So yeah, evil man that he is. So um, yeah, I just what in the, the Blues had this one. Uh, another one. I mean, they ran out to a early lead, a bit like the a bit like the Canes, not quite as big, but but got a couple of early tries. A Terry Black couldn't hit the side of a barn. Um, and that was probably the difference that uh, those seven points he left out there in that first quarter of the game or whenever it was, which would have stretched the lead out right right out uh, probably uh, and would have been a, a real morale um, uh, knock for the for the for the Brumbies. He didn't, and I think and that possibly was enough to give them the the, the hope to to win the game. Yep, you did right. It was uh, Fiani who started off with the uh, first try for the Blues and. I mean, they started off pretty well, didn't they? Um, getting it, uh, getting that point straight off the whistle. But it was this game that we were talking about a little bit beforehand uh, with the, uh, the referee having the very inexperienced referee uh, and on this one and having his two experienced assistant referees, which is my best friend Angus Gardner on the side, who was actually trying to send as many people off as he could um, in this match as well. We got our uh, yellow card uh, for Hodgman. Um, which is all on the suggestions of our favourite friend Angus Gardner, a very late no-arm block, as they called it, which I was interested in their terminology there. Uh, the Brummies, though, uh, they take advantage of that sort of thing. And what was remarkable about this this game was the try scorers for the Brumbies. Um, for Lau Fyanga, this guy just scores tries. He's, he's insane. Yes, he's in a team that likes the ball, and all they really do is kick to the corner and more. Um, but uh, to get a hat-trick... Um, in this game was very, very good. And, of course, it was Slipper who got his first try in a Brumby shirt as well. The Blues did lead at the break, though, which would be pretty... Oh, I guess you should have been happy about it at that point. But I think a, a big decisive part of this match was after half time when the Blues just seemed to get penalised after penalised after penalised after penalised time and time again. Uh, Tony Fussy got a yellow, um, and the Brumbies were just... I mean, they're setting up a camp and there's um, building a small town inside your opposition's 22. That's what the Brumbies did. There was, there was pretty much people moving in to that 22 area. They were there that long. It was over 10 minutes into the second half. They had 100% territory um, in that second half. It was crazy how long. And it took them so long to finally score the try. They kept getting penalties. They kept kicking to the corner. And they kept mauling it forward. Finally, they got it. Uh, Fyinga with the second at that point um, in the matchup. Uh, Plummer, I'm not sold on Harry Plummer for the Blues yet either. Uh, question marks when they bring him on so early as well. Then the Brumbies struck back. Of well, course, of course. The look, what, look, I say Black couldn't hit his heart, couldn't hit the side of a barn door. They needed someone who could kick. Had to get he's on. not much better. He's not really much better, <laughs> is he? Really, I mean, you're replacing the hopeless with the hopeless, really, in the end. But it was a hat trick hero that brought it home uh, for the Brumbies. It was 26-21. I mean. Defence was massive there for the Blues, but one surely this is one that they should have won. It, it, is this old Blues coming back again? Um, it's one of the, it's definitely one they should have won. Um, Andre says Blues need two more years. It's getting better, folks. Just be patient. <laughs> yeah, we've just needed two more years for the past twenty years. Um, it's 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 been a disaster. Uh, perhaps not twenty years, but even so, um, the uh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of faith. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people got, got a lot of faith by the fact that the Blues won four back-to-back wins, but they were all at home, um, and they've not managed to win away from home, and that's been their big, well, that's one of their big Achilles heels. Um, and so the um, yeah, as Andre says in the chat again, um, 
the Blues need a 10. They, were, they, they needed a 10 since they got rid of Gareth Anscombe. Um, or in fact, well, since Carlos Spencer left, to be honest. Um, so the, they've, they've needed a 10 for a long time and they've never had one. Or they have obviously had Carlos Spencer, but they've not had one since. Uh, and it's just been a mess since then. So, um, uh, yeah, we're just get us a... They don't even need a, need a nice attacking 10. They just need a 10 who can hit, kick sticks. There's one up in Japan, apparently, who's not going to be... Pl- <laughs> who's quite handy. Um, and he's a Kiwi as well. How about getting him back down, him down here? So the... Yeah, there's... Um, the, the I'm not sure about the old blues. I'm not sure the old blues ever went, ever went away. <laughs> oh, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to mention the one that's sitting over in Japan. Um, yeah, looking for a deal in a couple of years' time. But alas... We'll see what happens with him. He's got to go somewhere, surely. Somewhere big money, I'd imagine, too. Yeah, well, you're, you're lucky down in the Highlanders. You're getting Hunt. Oh, no, no. We'll, we'll take Parker. Parker, come home. Seriously? Hunt is moving to the Highlanders next year. What's, what's the Crusaders Hunt? Yes. No. No, he's caused us too much pain already with that drop goal that we never <laughs> forget from last year. Not welcome. Not welcome at all. And we've got you, Artie. We don't need any others. You can take Gatlin back. You can have all the other rubbish. We'll just keep Yoani. We'll keep our Marty Banks as a backup. And um, we'll even take our uh, Marty McKenzie back off your hands, Chiefs fans. So we'll take him back too. Uh, we'll move on. Bulls, the rest of the Waratahs. Um, back over to South Africa. Here we go. The lottery starts. Flip a coin, everyone. It's time to get the South African games underway. And the Bulls are the ones that got the scoreboard rolling first with a lucky bounce from the box kick. Yes, no one caught it on the full. That's silly. Straight away. And inside their own half, they quickly took control of that. And before the task could recover, it was the speedster of Gallant who runs free to score the opening points for the Bulls. And the home crowd are off to a happy start from there. The Waratahs, though, were quick to reply with, um, well, similar to what we talked about before, the Chiefs, some unbelievable offloading. Went through many, many hands, but Nick Figgs was the one to finish it off. Crazy skills. It was behind the backs. It was flick passes. There was no looks. It was everything. The Waratahs were pulling out all the party tricks. And if you thought that one was special... You should probably go take a look at this next one um, from the Bulls. If you haven't seen the game, if you haven't seen the highlights, go check out this try from Dane Vermeulen. Just inside his own half, intercepts a pass from Nick Phipps from the lineout and just powers his way. You might want to put it on two times speed because he's not as fast as a, as a back player would be, but he just trundled, swatted aside the one defender that come across to stop him. Just incredible how he powered through there and scored one, I think, one of the best tries, the best try of the weekend for mine. Watching that, I was stunned. I was shocked that he actually had the, the pace, the power, the determination was fantastic. David Mullen, great try. And the Bulls led with that one as well, 15-7 at halftime. Uh, that was my moment of the weekend, put that one in there as well. Into the second half, though, and the Waratahs get a bit of a, a, bit of a run. Firstly, um, their scrum went backwards every single time they put it in, but they still scored a couple of tries from them. Currently, Beal managed to wiggle his way past a couple of defenders before they got the Waratahs back into the match with another try. And then, again, another dominated scrum. They still turned it into something. Going backwards, just getting it out. It's a shambles. It's a mess. And then they have one-on-one defense, and they just don't speed-wise, man up with the attacking players. And it was Curtis Rona who found himself the man over to bring the scores level at 21-21. And at that stage, we're all thinking, oh, no, not another draw. We've had two already, no more. Heading into the final 10 minutes, a decisive play, though, goes the way of the Bulls, toiling away on the Tars line. A lightning pass out to an incredible name. I should leave this one for you, Paul, but I'll say it anyway. Matin Seema, who bounces over untouched, running at the line at cracking speed. And that is the one that gives the Bulls 
the big victory, 28-21 over the Waratahs. Penalties, shots at goal, a big factor in this one here for the uh, Bulls, who who pretty much kicked their way, scored a le- one try less, but uh, kicked their way to a victory here over the Waratahs. Yeah, we had a similar thing in the the, I mean, the Highlanders Chiefs again. One one side scored more tries than the others. The, the Chiefs actually scored four to three, I think it was from memory. Um, so yeah, it's we're, we're getting that that scoring tries isn't important this weekend, uh, as the Sharks showed us against the Crusaders. Back to good old rugby. That's what I say. We need more mud on the pitch, obviously, um, just make it a big bit of a mud fest. But apart from that, um, yes, absolutely. The oh, this Sharks team just don't know how to put a game away, do they? They can be on top. They can be dominating. Uh, and Bulls. Sorry, this Bulls team. That's you quite right. Um, this Bulls team just, just they just don't know how to put a game away. Uh, some games they'll uh, yeah, they'll be on top and they'll and they'll get points. Other games they won't. And, and it's an absolute lottery as to what's going to happen. But uh, yeah, that, that boot of Pollard is so important for them, uh, and that's where a lot of the points are going to come from. Uh, so yeah, and uh, at altitude, don't you, you can't afford to, um, uh, to 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 put a penalty anywhere because he'll put it over. Yep, dangerous, dangerous from anywhere, especially with a guy like Pollard running things in number 10. He's been a class act this season. Uh, the team around him may be a bit inconsistent, but I've been impressed with what he's been uh, pulling in for the ball. So that's great for them, though. They needed that. Uh, the Waratahs, I mean, yeah, the Australian <laughs> Conference is a mess as well, isn't it? Goodness me. We'll move on. Our final game of the weekend, though, is the Haguaras versus the Stormers. And um, this one, I, I think this game was probably one of the tougher ones to pick over the weekend, but it was a typical start uh, from the Haguaras, and it was a typical man to get a typical try um, for them as well. Bofali getting the Haguaras off to a flyer, slicing through the defence, and just giving a simple little pass, almost a gift, as a, you see. Pablo Matera's right beside him. Here you go, buddy. H- have a try. You haven't scored too many this season. And before you knew it, they're up 10 points to nil. For the Stormers, though, it was Jean-Luc Duplessis, who did all the scoring for the rest of the half, and he did it once again in threes. And he's seen out the rest of a penalty-ridden half with a uh, three penalties and 10 points to nine. The Haguaros with the lead at the break. More penalties on the radar in the second half as the score pushed itself up to 13 points to 12, but it was the home side that struck the next five points, creating a big wide overlap and some tidy finishing in the corner from Mayano and the Haguaros increased that lead nicely up. Penalties are plenty for the two sides as the Haguaros went into the final 10 minutes with a slender 23-18 point lead when the game took a bit of a twist. Moyoti gunning it to the corner as he cut back from what looked like an overside play to switch back to the short side, going to the corner, two-on-one overlap with Paul's favourite name that I don't even know if he's tried to say, but Ken Salieri on the right-hand side. But the pass knocked down deliberately, undefeated from JJ Inglebricht. And, I mean, a long bit of discussion over this one of what they're going to do, but he was hiffed to the bin in the rubbish for him, and a penalty try was awarded. A huge turning point in the game for me, 30 points to 18 to the Haguaras. The Storm was down, man down for pretty much the rest of the match as well. You thought have thought it's game over. But you should know if you watch Super Rugby by now that it's never game over when a player gets sent off. The Stormers found that little bit extra that they wouldn't have had if he was still on the field. And it was a great break from Phillips setting up Sinatla for a grandstand finish and the lead cut back to five for the Haguaras. But it wasn't quite enough for the Matera was sent to the bin for the typical Haguaras yellow card in the 82nd minute. It almost got pretty close as Inglebrick come back on. But it seems to me you get the man advantage now for the Stormers, and they fell apart, losing their line-out. The Haguaros kicked in the touch all over. Thanks for coming. 30 points to 25. The Haguaros just good enough to hang on at the end. The yellow card, though, it does strange things to teams, doesn't it? 
Um, it does. And uh, Umpire Strugby says he watched this one live uh, and, <laughs> and the Stormers owe him two, two hours of his life back. Um, <laughs> I mean, the Stormers, when they were over in New Zealand, we basically said they had, that we initially thought they just had a, uh, against the Hurricanes, they, they had a line-out mall and that was it. Um, mm. In this game, they had a scrum and that was pretty much it. I and mean, even their try was from the scrum where basically the, the, the scrum half ran off the back of the, uh, of the scrum. Uh, the, the, the defenders overran him, led him through. And once he was through, there was just no no uh, no sweepers to, to, to cover the, uh, the, the breaking players. Uh, and... Yeah, this was all about that Stormers scrum not being quite enough to to beat. What is an exciting Haguaris side? Now, um, one of the things that's been sort of been talked about recently uh, is, is I think the people have, uh, are not recognising what this side is because of how the Haguaris arrived on the scene. When they first arrived, they were the big, they were the offload kings. They would they would offload from anywhere. They now are the lowest offloading side in Super Rugby. Um, in fifteenth place uh, for average offloads, uh, and but that doesn't mean they're not expensive. It just means that they're very, they very they ruck the ball quickly, uh, and that's where the support players are rather than there for the offload. Uh, and they've gone back to what was a style that Ireland was playing about two years ago, uh, and it's kind of interesting. And we'll see that I think probably from the uh, from the hag, from the um, Pumas come rugby World Cup time uh, is no offloads but lots of lots of quick ruck ball. So um, there you go. There's your um, uh, your, your, your tech your, not tech tip. Um, anyway, you know, you, there's, there's, there's your there's your, your, your tip, your, your tip of the uh, of your playing tip of the of the week. Oh, leave it to the best to last, best to last <laughs> as per always. Um, good though, I agree with the comments um, saying that the Hagwar is there sneaking up the ladder. Um, yeah, sneaking up the ladder. Oh yeah, bonus point winning that South Africa team puts you clear by like twenty points. I mean, it's it's so close. You, you you forget about how this team was going when they had Sanchez. They had all these big names. They've they've got rid of a lot of these guys. They've got a lot of no name guys. I mean, people outside of Argentina look at this team and go, you know, who the hell's Cancelliere? Who's this guy? Where's he come from? He's he's, he's pretty electric. They're, they're blooding so much youth and they're competing and winning as well. Um, whereas oh. they were struggling through that in the last few years as well. So they're, they're competing better. They've got new players, a lot of new players, and they're not relying on the superstars of Argentinian rugby. Absolutely. I mean, when, when Sanchez left, I was like, oh dear, this is going to yeah. be a long exactly. old season. But hey, yeah, they've, they've, they've got two guys who have stepped up in that, uh, in that 10 jersey and done really, really well. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's all good news. All good news for Argentina, all good news for the Jaguars as well as they um, light up the South African division. But that is us. For this week's review of Super Rugby, uh, it's been a joy, Paul. Thanks for having me on, and thanks everyone for tuning in. I'll leave it to you to round us out for the the week of Super Rugby. Thank you, much, Steve, for, for for hosting, and thank you everyone who's been in the live chat. It's been a, a, def- a lively live chat this evening, uh, and yeah, good to, to have you all there. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel, uh, hit the bell, all of that kind of wonderful like comment stuff that you're supposed to do on YouTube. Um, you can subscribe up there. Down there is a link to become a supporter of the channel and that is via patreon.com forward slash driving more there are the links down there uh, that will help the, you can come and help uh, yeah get steve a haircut as we've talked about um, and over there are two <laughs> uh, videos that um, that the artificial intelligence here at youtube says you'll enjoy uh, so give them a watch too thank you everyone who's been on the live chat it's been wonderful uh, and uh, yeah catch you all next week for this show actually and tomorrow night for hash rubber chat <laughs>